Grab a seat and grab your Bible. And oh my goodness, I'm so glad to be with you today. It's good to be with my Clear Creek family. My name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here. If you're a guest, welcome. This is a great place to join a great family to learn more about your great God. And if you don't know Jesus Christ yet, here's our prayer. That sometime between now and when you leave today, you will take your next spiritual step. That may mean simply to explore faith. It may mean that you want to talk to someone. It may mean that today you're ready to identify with Jesus in baptism. You say, what's baptism? Here's baptism. It's where you go into the water. You confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that you trust him, that he will be Lord of your life. And when you go down, we're told that you are dying to yourself and you come up in newness of life and everything changes. And so that's really our prayer every week when we gather as a church that we would each take our next steps. And so we want to help you with that. So here at the end of the service, in just a minute, I want you to be aware of this, we're going to give you a shot at the end. Right through these walls, go out the doors, there's a room called A2. Some of our leaders will be there waiting for you. You say, why are you telling me that right now? Because I want to prime the pump for some of you who need to take your next step today. And we want to help you do that. Today, we begin the season of Christmas. Now, I know it doesn't feel like it outside since it's going to be a balmy 65 sometime today, and that just does not feel like Christmas, Uh, but honestly, after the last few days of cold and wet, I'm okay with that. Can I get an amen from anyone else? And so we're going to have, you know, a no snow day, but we're going to have a great day together. And as we enter into this season of Christmas, I want to invite you to begin reflecting with me on simply Christmas. What is The underpinning ideas. What are the irreducible minimums? Earlier this week, my wife asked me as we were laying in bed, going to sleep, she said, hey, what makes it feel like Christmas to you? And honestly, I had a hard time coming up with a, hey, this is what makes it feel like Christmas to me, Keith. I mean, I just couldn't come up with something. And so then later that week, I asked some of the ministers in the office, said, hey, my wife asked me this question. What do you think? How would you answer? And I won't tell you who said what, but one of the people goes, oh, it feels like Christmas when I am stressed. I thought, wow, amen. <laughs> Grinch stole the Christmas. And, you know, you know, another person, it's, hey, it's when I hear certain songs come on the radio or when the tree is up and the lights are on. By the way, how many of you already have? At least one Christmas tree up in your house or around your yard or something. Or how many of you have more than one tree up? Like how many of you, you are the Griswold. Lights everywhere. Man, Christmas. Now those are all great things, but here's my question. If you had that moment where the lights don't come on. Where the tree doesn't actually get up. The music isn't playing. Would it still be Christmas to you? I've been wrestling with this idea. You know, we're in transition as a family. We just bought a house, but we're not in it yet. We're moving and all this. And I've had to wrestle with the question, what is Christmas really about? Is it about some of these externals that we talk about and we see? Or is there something more to it? So our hope over the next four weeks, over the next four weeks, is to simply say, this is Christmas. What is it? And what is it not? Not that these other things are bad, but if you don't get anything else, what is Christmas? So to do that, we're going to begin by looking at the beginning of the story from Luke, chapter 2. 
I invite you to turn with me over into your Bibles, or maybe you don't want to turn in the paperback, maybe you just want to turn it on and you know, grab your phone, whatever, it's okay. But Luke chapter 2, we're going to read familiar words, but I believe that this morning it will become somewhat unfamiliar to some of us so that we can grasp a deeper understanding of what this passage and this season is all about. So Luke chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and drive for us uh, for these verses. But here we go, chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because, go ahead and say this with me. There was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is simply, Don't Miss the Moment. Don't miss the moment. There's a season that we're entering into, and there is something that will happen if you choose to embrace this season. Don't miss the moment moment. We're going to pray and then we're going to get into it. Are you ready, church? Let's just talk to the Father. Lord, we do pray this morning with every eye closed, with every head bowed, we ask you to enter this space, to teach us, to show us, to allow us to enter into this season well so that we do not miss what you would have us see. Lord, may we not be like Bethlehem that slept through the arrival of Jesus, but that we would be the people with wide-eyed wonder ready to receive the gift of Jesus, because I believe that as we receive him this season, it will empower us to live through every other season of the year. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, There's a situation that we face right now. This is a familiar passage, and unfortunately, with familiar things, we don't always see the details as clearly as we want. I was reminded of that this week Because we are also, although it's Christmas season, we are also in the season of the limited time offers. TVs are cut down in price. You can get this for this amount. You can do this. And, you know, we kept getting all these emails for like a 72-hour flash sale. It's like, this will never come again. And then you, you, you kind of do it. And then, you know, it's over. And then another one shows up and says, well, no, no, that was that one. But this is the real last one. And you've got all these limited time offers. Well... Now, since we're trying to get into a house, I'm realizing there are a few things we need for the house. And I found this awesome coupon. I mean, this is, this is the great granddaddy of all coupons. And I put it on my desk so I could get to it when I needed it. Well, life got busy and my desk reflects my life. It kind of got full. Anyone else in here ever have a full desk? You just have its clutter with stuff, you see. And, and I remember, I realized, oh no, the sale is about to be over. So I said, no problem, I will go find my coupon. How many of you know that it took me three hours searching that desk and I still could not find the coupon? 
I was looking under everything. I'm like, I know it's under one of these stacks. And I'm going through it. I'm looking for it. Can't find it. And, and I finally give up. The sale ends. And it's not until the next day I go, wait a minute. I go back to my office. Next to my desk on the floor is the waste bin. I thought, maybe it slipped off. So I dig through my trash. And lo and behold, what happens to be there? The limited time only coupon. The clutter on the desk kept me from seeing what was most important. How many of us know that the clutter of the season often keeps us from enjoying the Christ of the season? And this is a passage about a group of people who because of the clutter in their lives, because of the things going on, they missed a beautiful moment. And I don't want anyone in here to miss the moment. So let's get a picture, shall we? You have Joseph, a young, soon-to-be husband. They were betrothed. Uh, We don't have that really here in the West, but the idea is that you're promised to be married and you will almost live as married people without consummating the marriage. And so he takes his wife, Mary, and they go to his hometown. They were living in one place. They go up to Bethlehem, and in Bethlehem, that is where he is to register to say, I am from this place, from this town, from the line of David, because Caesar Augustus needed a little extra revenue. And the reason he wanted to run a census was so that he knew who there was in the towns to tax them accordingly. And so Joseph takes his wife, who's very pregnant. They get up there. They get to Bethlehem. And they look for a place to stay. And there is no room in the inn. And this is such a familiar, such a familiar idea that we are almost blind to the reality of it. In fact, Christmas is such a familiar idea that we are often blind to what it is really about. You say, well, what is this moment about, Josh? Okay, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) This moment, if you track back through history, through Christian history, The Christmas season has been about two things historically. Just two things, and here they are. It's been about remembering Jesus' birth, which is what we do. But it's also about anticipating Jesus' return. It's about remembering his birth when he first came as a helpless baby. And anticipating when he will return, not as a helpless baby, but as the God King coming to restore all that is wrong. Anyone excited about that day? I cannot tell you how excited I am about the moment when Christ will return. And that's what Christmas is. It's a season of remembering and anticipating, of waiting and anticipating. But the problem is this passage is so familiar we miss some of the details. So let me just give you some of the juicy bits. Here's the problem. We're told that she wrapped Jesus in cloths and placed him in the manger. Why? Because there was no room, where church? In the inn. All right, now here's the problem. When I hear the word inn, you know what I think of? I think of Tom Bodet and Motel 6. Right? You think of this wayward couple. They come in, it's, they're tired, and Tom left the light on for them. So they come up to the motel, they open the door, they say to the innkeeper, my wife is pregnant, I'm tired, can we have a place? And of course, in all of the Christmas pageants, you've always got some cranky fat dude playing the innkeeper, and he says, no room for you. He's sort of like the soup Nazi, but of inns. Some of you will get that. And so he says, and so we get this picture that it's a place with many different rooms, you go, you pay, and it's for travelers. 
I want you to know, this is an unfortunate translation of the word in our text. That is not the best word for what this is. The Greek word, if you want to impress your friends this holiday season, the Greek word is kataluma. Kataluma. There's one other place that this word is used in the Gospel of Luke. If you go all the way to Luke chapter 22 and verse 11, you'll read this word because in that place, Jesus is about to have his last supper with his followers. And they're going to sit in this upper room. And he tells his followers, you find a man, you tell him, the Lord wants to stay in your kataluma. And the word there, best translated, is in your guest room. The word here is not some sort of inn, but it's a guest room. The idea is in their culture in Bethlehem, Bethlehem was a very small city. Probably only about 300 people lived there during the time of Jesus. Now, what would happen though is because it was so small, they didn't have the need for a large inn because the city just didn't demand that kind of use. So rather, the Jewish people would take people into their own homes. In fact, if you were to visit a Jewish home during that time, most Jewish homes had two rooms in them. You'd have a large living space. That's where the family would live. They would cook. They would eat. They would sleep. And then there would be a smaller second room. And that was their guest space for travelers. Because hospitality was a huge value to the Hebrew people. And so what happens... The city swells. People show up. They're ready. They need to come in for census. And so they visit family. Because remember, everyone coming to Bethlehem grew up there. That is where they were born. That is their hometown. They show up at mom and dad's door and says, We're here. The Griswolds have arrived. They walk. There are going to be more Christmas references throughout this. So hang on. And so they come in. They say, Do I have a space to stay? And they come in. They stay. But by the time Joseph gets there... There is no room in the guest rooms of the homes. Their homes were already too full for one more thing. How many in this room, and I, don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of us would say, you know, our homes are already too full for just one more thing? We are too full with busy schedules with making cookies for this event, for attending that party, to going to this event, to this pageant, to this play, to buying gifts for people that we don't know, for all the different things that happen. And we just say, we are so full, there's no room for one more thing. In fact, maybe some of us this morning would say that, you know, I'm just trying to get through the season because I'll breathe again when January arrives. I I, I don't have time to even think about anything else. And I'm afraid that some of us are so full that we don't have room for Jesus in this season. Now listen, I'm not saying any of this to make you feel guilty. Quite the opposite. You are doing lots and lots of really, really good things. In fact, if you were to ask the people living in Bethlehem, well, why why do you not have any room? They say, well, we're doing good things. We're full up of good things. We got family in. They need a place to say. We have given them a place to say. Is it a good thing, church, to give family from out of town a place to stay? Uh, Okay, I really expected like an actual response there. (laughs) Okay, let's try this again. Is it a good thing to let family stay in your house, church? Yeah, that's a good thing. (laughs) Glad I'm not part of your family. (laughs) 
They were doing good things. In fact, because they were so full of good things, hear me now, they didn't have room for the best thing. I was thinking about this yesterday as I was watching my son eat his cinnamon roll. How many of you like cinnamon rolls? Anyone in here like cinnamon rolls? And Oh, they're great. Every Saturday, almost every Saturday, my wife makes Saturday breakfast, and it is just awesome. It's the one day a week that we all get to eat as a family. Monday through Friday, kids go to school early. Uh, Sunday, I'm here usually about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. So Saturday, that's the time where we get to be together as a family. And so Lindsay, she'll make eggs and, and she'll make like these little, uh, these little sausages. And, and the kids like theirs normal. I like mine burnt, like a burnt offering. If, if it's not black, I don't want it. And so she does that. She burns my ham for me. And then we sit and we have fruit and it's just a great morning. And, 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 guess, she makes cinnamon rolls. Now, I know she doesn't always get to make her own because life isn't that free. But she'll sometimes buy the Pillsbury ones. Not the little bitty ones that come eight to a can. I'm talking the great big daddy whapper jobs. You know those that like four or five to a can? They're the size of your face. They are fantastic. And so, Stephen, the rule is in our family, you eat the healthy stuff first. Eat the protein eat the fruit, and then you can have your cinnamon roll. So Stephen, man, he flew through it. He ate his healthy stuff. He says, can I have my cinnamon roll? We say, sure, which one do you want? Oh, and by the way, on this day, since it's like a Christmas thing, my daughter Emma sprinkled little Christmas sprinkles on it. Because look, if you're already going to have a diabetic issue, let's just go all the way, okay? (laughs) And so she sprinkles it on. He says, that one, it has the most. So he gets his little cinnamon roll. And he begins to eat it from the outside in, you know, kind of works his way around. And he's just going, 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 going. And all of a sudden, we look over and go, uh-oh, there's a problem. He's not moving as quickly. He's still got the nice big centerpiece to go. And he stops and goes, I, I can't eat anymore. I'm too full. I said, buddy, you're almost there to the good stuff. Don't stop now. And Lindsay goes, <clears throat> Because it's the best part right there in the middle. That's where all the extra cinnamon is, right? That's where the extra icing is. That's, that is where you are working to get to. It is the holy center of cinnamon-ish. And he gets there. And he says, Daddy, I ate all the other stuff. I don't have any room. And it hit me. And I tell you, my wife, she knows me so well. When a sermon illustration hits, she goes, oh, another one? Yeah, okay. So right then I go, ooh, that's workable. I'll use that. Get me now. He enjoyed so much of the good stuff, he had no more room for the best stuff. And I wonder how many of us, we've got so many good things going on, but we would just say, man, I don't have room for the best stuff. Years ago, Jim Collins wrote a very popular business book entitled Good to Great. Many of you in here have read that book. And one of the key learnings that he saw when it came to businesses, and I believe this is true of people in general, is that because they are so focused on doing what they are good at, they never get to what they're great at. Many of us are so focused on the good things of the season that we will never enjoy the great things of this season. And what is the great thing? Remember, it is remembering his birth and anticipating his return. Remembering his birth and anticipating his return. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you some ways to maximize the moment because we don't want you to miss it this year. We're going to kind of walk through this, okay? I want to give you some suggestions here. Some of you are going, okay, this sounds good. How do we do this? Let me just give you some ideas. Here we go. Number one. 
One of the things that we do as a family, and maybe you want to incorporate in your family or just by yourself, is simply this. Do a daily Advent reading. You say, Advent, what's that? That just means coming. The arrival of Jesus. Just do a daily reading that leads up to it. If you say, Josh, I I don't have an idea for that. Hey, you see me afterward. I'll hook you up with the kind of Advent reading we do. In fact, our small group tonight is meeting together to do uh, some Advent projects. So every week we can do something with our families. So one of the ways that you can maximize the the moment is do a daily reading. Let me give you another one. This is a real easy one. Everyone in here can do this one. Read one chapter of the birth of Christ per week. And you say, well, okay, so how does that work? If you want to jot this down, I would start with Luke chapter 1 because that's the earliest portion of his birth narrative. Then I'd go to Matthew 1 the next week. And then the third week, just one day a week. I mean, you don't have to do a lot. But then the third week, go to Luke chapter 2, what we just read. But read the whole chapter. And then on the fourth and final week, read Matthew chapter 2, because that'll give you the last part. So Luke 1, Matthew 1, Luke 2, Matthew 2. Just one chapter a week. Can you do that? That's something. Let me give you a couple more here. Maximizing the moment. You might want to listen to some Christ-centered music this season. Maybe you've got a playlist that you just enjoy listening to, or maybe you're old school, you just pull out that eight-track player. I don't care what you got. But if you've got some music that will stir your affection for Jesus this season... It's an easy thing to do. Let me give you two more. Serve with your small group. One of the ways to maximize the moment is to remember that Jesus came. Remember, he said, I did not come to be served, but to what, church? But to serve. One of the best ways to remember his coming and anticipate his return is to do what he did and serve. Here's another one. Reflect on Jesus' return. And, And this is so simple. Just maybe 10 minutes a week, just sit down. And take a little piece of paper and you might want to jot down what are the things that come to mind when I think about what it'll be like when he comes home. But what would that moment look like when you're reunited with loved ones and when you see Jesus himself, the one who died for you, who rose for you, what would it look like? And just jot that down because as you do, what I think will happen is it will stir up your heart saying, I can't wait For when Jesus comes back, you will maximize the moment. Let me give you one more that's not up here, but one that Lindsay uh, started a few years ago, and I've started doing it with her. Every year, we will sit down and watch the movie, The Nativity. And and you say, what's that? Okay, it's a live-action story of the birth of Christ, but it is not the scrubbed-up, clean, pristine version that you see like in the, the play school, little people's nativity set. It shows the reality of the birth of Jesus in its full, high-def detail. It is incredible, and it's one of those that it stirs up in us what our Savior did coming to our home here on earth. So these are just some ways, and you'll have your own. Share with your small group. Compare notes. But here's what you don't do. Don't be passive this season and just assume that you will maximize the moment by doing nothing because if you don't do anything, nothing will happen. Now, here's one of the biggest challenges. Most of us in here say, man, this is all good stuff. But what did we say earlier? I have no more room for one more thing. I'm full of good things. I don't have space for one more thing. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. One of the most spiritual words in all of the English language is the word no. No is a spiritual word because here's the reality. You cannot say yes to the best if you say no to all the rest. 
You cannot say yes to the best this season if you say yes to the rest. You've got to say no to some things. One of the greatest lies in our culture, and if, hey, look, young people, let me just, can I talk to you for a minute here? One of the biggest lies that you will hear is that you can grow up and be anything you want to be. That is not true. You may want to be 12 awesome things. You cannot be all 12 awesome things. Let me just ask the whole church. How many of you are familiar with a man by the name of Tiger Woods? Anyone in here know of Tiger Woods? One of the greatest golfers, arguably the greatest golfer of all time. He is a phenomenal athlete. A few years ago, I read an article in Business Insider talking about his exercise routine and his regimen, and it was ridiculous. Every day, he would exercise for three or four hours. He would hit for about three or four hours. Then he would go play a game, of, a round of golf. Then he'd exercise more. Then he'd go and he'd hit more. And this was every day, up to 10 hours a day. He became one of, if not the greatest golfers because he said, this is my yes. How many things did he have to say no to to say yes to being the greatest golfer? Let's just do a little comparison here. Arguably the greatest basketball player is a man named LeBron James. Now I know some of you say no, it's Michael Jordan. Hey, we can, we can kind of argue here, that's fine. But those guys are top of their level athletes. If you listen to their exercise and their training, it is, again, ridiculously high. Five, six, seven, eight, ten hours a day. And during the on-season, it's seven days a week. Now, here's a question. If Tiger Woods comes up against LeBron on the basketball court, who's going to win? LeBron. But what if LeBron goes out and plays on the green? Who's going to win that one? Tiger. The reality is they both have said, this is my yes. I have had to say no to so many other things. My time is dedicated to this one thing. I will never be the best golfer because I'm going to be the best basketball player. I will never be the best basketball player because I'm going to be the best golfer. Church, hear me now. You and I cannot say yes to everything this season and then fully expect to enjoy the benefits of the reflection and the anticipation on Jesus. We need to say no to some things, don't we? So let me me show you something that... Let me show you one other thing here. I want to encourage you to do a Christmas budget this year. This is the best thing I have ever learned for figuring out how not to miss out on the moment of Christmas. I'm going to share this with you and we're going to wrap it up, okay? So if you want to jot this down, this is a real simple thing. I got this from a woman named Alexandra Kuykendall. She writes about this idea in her book where she said, hey, look, just like a money budget, you tell the money where it goes. I have this much money. Every dollar, I tell it where it goes. She said, I realized when I looked at my Christmas that I had not told every day where it goes. And she ended up frustrated and stressed and she missed the moment year after year. And she said, enough is enough. So she put together her very own Christmas budget. So let me show you sort of what this looks like. You can do this in 10 minutes. Just grab your phone or grab a sheet of paper. And all you have to do is just go to the calendar. All right, here we go. This is your Christmas budget. December 25th, Christmas Day. December 2nd, this is today. These are the days between. Now, today is already full up. 
So it's already sort of taken, if you will. But you have all these days left. So if you and I were to sit down and say, how do we maximize the moment? We don't miss the moment of remembering when he came and anticipating when he returns. This is what we might talk through. We say, well, hey, let's, let's gather together each week. Let's just go ahead and block out every Sunday. And since you are good church folk, I know that's going to be right up there. And so we're going to attend. We're going to be together to celebrate and to remember. And so those days, man, they're blocked off. Nothing else is going to get in the way because that is so important for me remembering the moment. But then let's say you could say, well, I want to maximize the moment through the week. And I'd say, well, how much time do you have? You say, not much. I say, okay, let's start with just one chapter a week. Can we do that? You say, absolutely. So you say, Monday is the best day of the week for me to get some time. And so Monday, 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 Monday. On Monday the 3rd, you read Luke 1. Monday the 10th, Matthew 1. Monday the 17th, Luke 2. Monday the 24th, Matthew 2. And you say, that's, that's the time. Nothing else is going to take me away from doing that. That'll happen first. My time is there. And then you say, you know, I, I really love it when we do stuff with my group because when I am with my group and we serve, I feel like I am fully engaged in the season. So you say, great, what's the day? And you put, okay, this is the day. On, on Wednesday the 19th, I know that we're not gathering for services here at Clear Creek on Wednesday the 19th. We're going to let people regroup, refocus, refresh. And so my small group, that's when we're going to get together. We're going to go serve together that day. Okay, great. So you put that up there. And then you say, oh man, but I've got, I've got all these Christmas parties all these expectations. And so we'd say, okay, well, which one party do you most either want to go or need to go to? How many of us know that sometimes what you want and what you need are not the same thing? And so you say, well, I I got this one that I really want to go to, and so I'm going to put that up here because it's on the 6th. That's when we're going to go, and we're going to have our our party, and we're just going to kind of celebrate and have a good time. Okay, great, awesome. Is there anything else that's an absolute have to? And you, you work through and you go, well, no, I mean, guess these are just the basics. All right, so here's, here's what happens, though. You need some margin for the rest of the time, don't you? Someone calls you up and says, hey, I really would love it if you could get together with me on the 21st. And so, so, so let me just, can I give you some advice on what to do? What you do is go ahead like today and write on that, I mean, go ahead and write down the word something. So then when someone calls you and says, hey, I need you here, would you like to come there, or can you help me here? And then you can tell them, you look at your calendar and you say, oh, I'm so sorry, but I have something on that day already. You say, well, what if they don't call me on the 21st? Well, easy. You just say, well, I happen to have something on that day, and on that day, and I've got something on those days. You make the choice. That says, when Jesus shows up, I am not going to be so full that he's in the backyard coming into this world and I miss the moment. I am going to maximize the moment this year because although giving and getting presents is great, that is not Christmas. Although decorating the Christmas tree is great, that is not Christmas. Although attending parties and pageants and plays are great, Those are not Christmas. Christmas is about remembering when Jesus came and anticipating his return. Do those things that stir up your heart so you don't miss the moment. Like many of you growing up, 
I would go to my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving and Christmas. But through the rest of the year, Granny, as we called her, she lived in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Granny would show up at our place throughout the year. And when I was really little, I loved it when Granny would come for a lot of reasons, but mostly because when I was little, she would show up and she'd bring good gifts. She'd bring candy. She'd bring some little toy or something. And so I loved seeing my Granny for the gifts she would bring. And that's okay when you're little, isn't it? But as I grew up, as I matured, I could not wait for Granny to arrive, not for what she would bring, but simply so that I could be with her. This is the season where we remember that Jesus showed up. And we get to be with him. And what's more impressive to me is this church. Jesus wants to be with you and with me. That's why he came as a baby. And you say, why did he come to a backwaters town like Bethlehem that had not seen prominence for centuries. It's because he wanted to let you know that he comes to everybody, not just the select few, not the holy of holiest. He loves you and he wants to be with you. And here's the reality. If you will not miss this moment, when you remember that he came and you reflect on the promise that he will return, then when life gets tough in 2019, you have already positioned yourself with a confidence that he is a God who came because he loves and he will return because he loves and he will walk with you through it. And so it's Christmas. I don't want you to miss the moment. 